Oh, I didn't know that. I had a friend in college. Her nickname was Momo. And now I know why. She was a peach. Not like a literal peach, but she was very sweet. No, she was a literal Uh, peach. I believe you. She was a literal peach. I was talking to her. I got weird looks. It was uncomfortable. But it's (laughs) fine. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another exciting episode of Avatar the Podcast. I'm going to be leading the discussion today. That's right, me, your best friend, good old Booster Booster Greg. Greg. That's me. And as always, I'm going to be joined by, from now and forevermore, until we run out of, you know, Avatar things to talk about, Acorn Bandit. You're stuck with me. Yes. I am. No, you're stuck with me. Wait, that's Watchmen. That's different. We can't be talking about that. That's fine. This episode, we're going to be talking about book one, chapter three, the Southern Air Temple, or as we like to call it, the rise of Momo, the rise of Momo. I forgot that this was like the first episode with Momo in it. So I'm really excited to to talk about it in more depth. Me too. I forgot that he came in so early on in the show. Episode three. I know. It's weird. Like when you're watching the first couple episodes, you're like, where's Momo? And then you you like kind of get used to a life without Momo. And then he shows back up. You're like, oh, yeah, you. The food thief. Everything's right in the world again. Yes, absolutely. Uh, Before we get started, we just want to remind everyone that if you're enjoying the show, to go ahead and, you know, if you you feel so necessary, hit that subscribe button. And also, if you want to shoot over a like or comment or or five-star review, whatever your heart desires, we super appreciate it. At this point, that is the best way to help support Avatar the Podcast. If you feel so inclined, if you want to tell us how much you love us, please please. do so. For the low, low price of five-star reviews, you too can help feed a Momo. (laughs) That's a good one. <laughs> um, what we're going to be doing pretty much from here on out, we're going to start the show show with any sort of news or shout outs that we have. Acorn, do you have anything you want to bring up? Uh, nothing too big right now, but I will say that um, we might be cooking up in enamel pin designs. So stay tuned. Can confirm it's going to be adorable yes. and may be featuring one of our favorite furry companions. So it's not me. Get hyped. <laughs> not Greg. All right. Without further ado. Episode three. Oh, I'm so excited. I'm so, so excited. This was such a good episode. It was so good. So um, we are brought into episode three with Katara and Ang packing up their campsite while Sokka Typical Sokka is sleeping in. Uh, Aang is excited about the Southern Air Temple. Katara tries to kind of like warn him or calm him down a little bit that it's been 100 years. Things are going to be really different. You don't know what's going to happen, but Aang is not really listening. He's just very focused on getting home, seeing any of his loved ones or just even seeing a familiar territory. Aang doesn't want to wait for Sokka to wake up, so he tricks Sokka to thinking there's a snake in the sleeping bag by dragging a stick on top of him. Sokka flips out, lands right on his face, and now everyone's awake. They have zero reason why they can't just go to the Southern Air Temple. You know what really struck me about this? And It's something so small. These are like 12, 14, 15-year-old kids in the wilderness breaking camp. 
in our world, aside from like the boys and girls clubs and families who go camping together, I feel like people today wouldn't know how to survive in the wilderness. Yes. Not like we have to, but it's such a small, nice detail in the world building that these kids who come from completely different parts of the world already know how to navigate and survive. So it was so cool to watch them like, you know, breaking camp and be like, okay, guys, let's hit the air. Oh, yeah. No, it's it's you take advantage of that. I think seeing um, these kids doing these quite adult things like surviving in the world where in the real world, people are freaking out that they can't get haircuts right now. So it's just like it really does kind of put a perspective on everything for sure. Meanwhile, off the coast of of the southwestern Earth Kingdom. Prince Zuko and Uncle Iroh are trying to get their ship fixed from their encounter with Team Avatar. So if you forget or maybe you're not listening to all these episodes back to back to back to back, uh, it got frozen, essentially. <laughs> and um, <laughs> Aang took off and, you know, Team Avatar kind of took off. Um, so right now, Prince Zuko and Uncle are, are trying to be very discreet and get their ship fixed as quickly as humanly possible. Zuko tells his uncle that they should not make any mention of seeing the Avatar, fighting the Avatar, whatever, so that no other firebenders will realize what happened. Just when you think you're ready to go and getting things underway, classic Commander Zhao shows up, and Uncle Iroh and Zuko hastily stitch together a really lame attempt at a story of how their ship got destroyed. It was so forced. <laughs> it really was. It was, it was, I love this part because it's just like, oh, um, uncle will tell you the story. And then uncle's like, I will. Oh yes, I will. Uh, what happened again, Zuko? And Zuko's like, oh <laughs> yes, we did a thing. Yeah. I, I love how Zuko is like the sole commander on his mission to find the avatar. And he bosses everyone around on his ship, but then on home ground, he relies on Iroh's ingenuity and social graces to get through situations. Mm -hmm. So it's like another perspective that reminds us of their ages and how Iroh really is his mentor. And he does respect him because it's like, uh, Iroh, I need help. Yeah. <laughs> you oh, yeah. tell them the story. Well, you like you, it's very easy to forget that Zuko is a kid. Yeah, because of how he holds himself uh, with with his underlings, so to speak, and and just he's him being so consumed by anger and, and hatred towards someone he he's only ever met once. It really is easy to lose that perspective. Something that I found very interesting while watching this whole episode is how alike Zuko is with Iroh. Like they're very similar, and if you like mm -hmm. strip away the anger. And like, you know, eventually he, he turns like emo-y and, and stuff like that. Um, he very much has a lot in common with his uncle. And you could see Uncle Iroh's influence on Zuko. And especially like these little moments where they're trying to like come up with a uh, like a scheme almost or a lie. And they're both terrible at lying. Yeah. 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 I love that. We really do explore more Zuko's character in this in this episode. Yes. And Iroh's influence, you can absolutely see throughout it, which is so great. Zhao is not convinced in the slightest and invites the two for a drink. Zuko tries to reject the offer, but classic Uncle Iroh scolds Zuko and reminds him that he owes Zhao a measure of respect and accepts the invite on behalf of the two of them. Again, Uncle just kind of being like, stop being a brat. He, this guy sucks, but he is still a superior ranking officer. You have to show him his respect. He earned his way up, up here, up to this rank. 
Also, he's commander now. Oh, yeah. He's commander. not captain anymore. Yes. So, you know, for anyone who's rewatching this with us, the promotions have begun. Meanwhile, we, we join Team Avatar again while they're approaching the Patola mountain range. And Sokka finds out that Ang used all of the blubbered seal jerky to start their campfire the night before. And now defeated and hungry Sokka mentions, no wonder the flames smelled so good. <laughs> I love or Aang, he didn't know the difference. He's vegan. He but just it, thought it was like wood or fire starter or something. But, but it's also like, I I didn't even think about that. I thought of just like how disgusting it must be. And he must have been like, oh, this must be not for food. Yeah. And it looks kind of flammable. So there. Katara is trying to keep Aang from getting too excited about returning to his home. And reminds him that it's entirely possible that the Fire Nation has been there and everyone is gone. Aang immediately rejects this idea and states that the only way anyone can get to the Southern Air Temple is via flying bison. And he even states, I doubt the Fire Nation has any flying bison, right, Appa? Yip, yip. We get a really good idea in the next establishing shot at just how high the Southern Air Temple actually is. Because they literally have to go like 90 degrees up and everyone's holding on for dear life except for oh, Aang. Yeah. And then they go up even further after that to even kind of approach the, the Southern Air Temple. Back with Zuko and Uncle Iroh, Commander Zhao tells of the Fire Nation's plan to conquer the Earth Kingdom. Zuko criticizes the plan, stating that the Earth Kingdom will not go down so easily. But Zhao quickly changes the subject to the search for the Avatar. Uncle Iroh clumsily knocks over a rack of weapons in the background. Which is kind of like a classic Iroh move to kind of attempt <laughs> to knock, I think, literally uh, knock uh, Zhao off of his train of thought or distract him or try to, like, get some sort of mental high ground is how I read I think that. it was entirely on accident, but it is it is classic Iroh because he knocks, he's, like, inspecting the spear, mm -hmm. knocks the whole thing over, and then turns around and just goes, uh... My fault entirely. And then like eases out of the frame. <laughs> yeah. I don't I don't think it was accident, though. I think he did it on purpose. I think he's playing. Really? The fool. I think he's playing the fool because he does that a lot in this show. Like one of the few things I remember, like with great detail, is he loves to play the fool. It's, it's like he's like if you were to have a martial arts like style in like a martial arts movie, it would be like the drunken master. Yeah. 100%. That's, that's just what I was thinking. Yeah. You know what? That is such a good point. And I, I didn't think about that, but you're right. Later in the show, he does that a lot. Oh my gosh. Mm -hmm. Is he mm -hmm. doing it as early as episode three? And I'd never he's, noticed. He's already done it in episode one. When he's being, or episode two, when he's taking a nap while the avatar is trying to escape. He's not, if you think he's taking a nap. I oh, have, that's right. I have some news for you. He is not that heavy. As, no one is that heavy of a sleeper. There are <laughs> literal explosions going on. Um, Iroh but, sleeps with one eye open. Yeah. <laughs> Does he even sleep? Really? <laughs> Zhao is definitely onto the fact that Zuko knows more than he is saying and presses for more information. Zuko uses Zhao's own words against him and says, hey, the Avatar has been missing for 100 years. He's probably dead. But to no avail, as Zuko is stopped when it is revealed that Zhao's guards have questioned the crew members aboard Zuko's ship. Uh, during the encounter with Team Avatar. So Zhao is informed that Zuko let, another quote-unquote, let 
the Avatar escape and smugly asked Zuko to remind me. How exactly was your ship damaged? That's my Zhao impression. You're welcome. And that's great. On. Thank you. Um, dum, dum, dum. I wrote that in my notes, so I had to say it. <laughs> uh, meanwhile, Sokka is still hungry and getting yelled at by his sister for being one of the first outsiders to see an airbender temple and only being able to complain about his lack of food and snacks, which I don't know why she's so surprised about that. Like, I feel like I would expect if Sokka wasn't complaining about something while being in like a crazy majestic and very rare location then he's not Sokka and something's wrong with him yeah no I I do love how this like strengthens their characters Mm -hmm. because it's all in those offhand moments Katara recognizes and appreciates that she and her brother are going to be some of the first outsiders to ever visit an airbending temple which shows she's the kind of person who values people respects culture and meanwhile Sokka is just he wants food that's all he, w- all he, all he can think about. That's literally all he wants in life is snacks. <laughs> all he wants. Snacks and I'm to a be simple a guy warrior. with simple needs, he says. And gives the siblings a tour of the temple, but notices that it is void of any inhabitants whatsoever. To help distract his new friend, Sokka offers to play a game of airball with Aang, only to get wrecked because Sokka is not a bender of any variety, and airball is designed for at least an airbender. I mean, I would assume maybe a firebender or like any other bender would be OK. But Sokka has a boomerang and hunger pains at this point. So <laughs> uh, after we're going to call it the point match, because it's literally the last point that Aang gets of airball. He knocks Sokka off the court into a patch of grass where Sokka discovers an older Fire Nation helmet that's covered in dirt and ash and looks to be damaged from battle. The siblings agree that Aang needs to know the truth. Uh after Katara calls Aang over, she actually ends up changing her mind and knocks a pile of snow on the helmet and also her brother's head. This is a yet another time where Katara <laughs> uses waterbending and uh, Sokka gets wet. So, yep. Yeah. That uh, that moment. God, my heart. When Katara struggles know. between telling Aang the truth and being kind like that is so her. Yep. And it's. She can't keep Aang from getting hurt because obviously he's going to get hurt when he finds out that his people are not there. But she's trying so hard just to like spare him that pain. Yeah. The struggle is there and she knows what's right. And she she knows what he can. I think she knows at this point what he can kind of take. So, yeah, I agree. It's it's very interesting to see her struggle with this kind of dilemma. A little detail with the air ball. Um, Last time, actually in our trailer, we yeah. talked about what our favorite things about Avatar is. And for me, it's world building. And nothing really depicts world building more than going to a new location and seeing evidence of the culture or in this case, the bending mm. in its surroundings. So just the fact that there's an air ball court. I know it's not a court. It's like a bunch of it's like a court, pose, but yeah. yeah, it's a court. It's a court. Seeing air ball courts. And then also the fact that the air temple is on top of like a mountain like Mm -hmm. we said Mm -hmm. 90 degrees you have to climb up the mountain to get to it those are just some really cool details that surround air bending and air culture because you would have to be an airbender to really appreciate or interact with those things yeah oh yeah 100 percent. i think it's what we find out in this episode too about um the monks essentially is not 
what you think of as like a typical monk. Like these these guys have fun. Then I think the airball court is also like an indicator of that. Yeah. So yeah, as Aang's running over, he's like, what, what? Uh, Katara goes, oh, I learned a new trick. But Aang's like, oh, that's cool. But we shouldn't be like playing around right now. We should continue the tour. She's if like, yeah. He knew. I know, I know. Uh, Sokka ends up scolding Katara about withholding the truth from Aang. But as you said earlier, she's worried about what would happen, what how he would react when he found out that firebenders had invaded his home. Following the young airbender, we get our first mention of uh, airbender a monk named Monk Gyatso. We learn in a flashback sequence that Gyatso was quite the prankster and a great mentor and friend to young Aang. Gyatso shows off his ancient cake-making technique, and Aang doesn't really seem to care about kind of like the cakes at this point because he's so burdened with the news that he is the next avatar. We learn through this exchange that Aang was actually told four years earlier than they would normally tell someone. He's only 12, and they told him they're supposed to tell him when he's 16 that he's the Mm -hmm. next avatar. And um, Monk Yatso kind of says that he doesn't agree with that decision. Although in hindsight, it was a very good idea that they told him that he was the avatar so early because otherwise he would definitely be dead. So there's that. Yeah, good point. I I actually adore how Monk Yatsu specializes in making cakes. That's so precious. I I just love him in general. He's literally just older Aang. Yes. Yes, really. A fun fact about his name that I found out, I don't know if it's directly correlated, but um, Yatsu's name matches the last name of the 14th and current Dalai Lama, Tenzing Yatsu. For those who have watched Legend of Korra, Tenzin will be a familiar name. Mm Mm-hmm. For everyone else, don't worry. We'll get there. We'll get there. Yep. He'll just be out there demanding pictures of Spider-Man. Yes, that's a J.K. Simmons joke that I made. And you'll get that <laughs> when we get to it. Monkey also tells Aang to live in the present and not dwell on the past, which is like, I feel like a classic monk, Tibetan monk thing is just, you Absolutely. know. Absolutely. Very much the the Tao of Pooh, so to speak, Winnie the Pooh. I remember reading that way <laughs> back in the day. He also tells Aang that once he is of age, he will be allowed to enter the Air Temple Sanctuary and he will meet someone who will help him become a better avatar. The master and pupil then launch the cakes, the freshly made, very special cakes that Monk Yatsu had just taken out of the oven onto nearby meditating monks who are then pounced on by nearby winged lemurs who eat the cake off of the monks' heads. I love how each cake has like a dollop of like colored sweet cream or yeah. something. Well, yeah, they're all like different. Like, like the, the, this is what really I love about this part. The amount of care that went into these cakes there, I would imagine different fruit fillings. They have different yes. whipped toppings only to be made using a very special cake technique only to throw on top of meditating monks, not even yes. to eat. It was great. <laughs> If nothing shows, like nothing else shows how much of a prankster Monk Yatsu is than yeah. that. Oh, yeah. And I, I love how they make you think that they're going to eat him like all the way up until this point. Because yeah. Monk Yatsu is like, oh, Ang, are you going to help me with these cakes or not? And Ang gets like a fun, like a fun little like smile. And you're like, oh, they're going to eat all this cake. They're going to be really sick after this. And they go, nope, just launch right onto heads. <laughs> it's great. Oh, another note about Ang at this time. Um 
Mm-hmm. You know, we learn in the scene that he is 12 and he was told that he's the avatar, which normally the monks will wait until um, the avatar is 16 to tell him this news. But also, Aang has his light blue arrow tattoos, right? Mm-hmm. Something that I thought was really interesting is airbenders receive their tattoos when they reach the level of master. So once they reach that level, they get five light blue arrows tattooed across their body. And those arrows emulate the sky bison's natural markings um, because the sky bisons are recognized as the first airbenders. But unlike most master airbenders who get their arrows later in life, Aang received his when he was only 12 after inventing the air scooter. So this actually makes him the youngest known airbending master and he just happens to be the avatar, which is super cool. Angle, like he very much like again has that Goku element to him where he's goofy and young and naive, but he's also like, don't mess with him. He's super powerful. Yeah. And he all of his achievements come at a very early age for him. So it's yeah. That you again, something else you forget as you're watching this. As he's like making silly faces and stuff and going through, he's like, Oh yeah, you're you got this accolade very early in life. Like, that's nuts. Yeah, your legacy was was laid before you. Talk about pressure. Yeah. I guess it's a good thing that he's a monk, right? Because he can focus on, yeah. Oh, yeah. Um, you know, detachment and uh, focusing on joy and compassion and things. Um, yeah. It's interesting. I started reading a book this year called The Book of Joy by um, mm. the Dalai Lama and Archbishop mm-hmm. Tutu. And It was incredible watching this scene now, having read that book, because there's so many parallels to Tibetan Buddhism. It's not even funny. I found that a lot of the advice that Monk Yatsa was giving Aang in that scene seems to stem from Tibetan Buddhist teachings, um, specifically the eight pillars of joy. The first four pillars are four qualities of the mind, which are perspective or being able to see all of life in its wider perspective, humility or understanding our place in the great sweep of all that is, was, and will be, Uh, using humor to help manage all of the ironies and cruelties and uncertainties that we face, as well as being able to laugh at ourselves. And then the last one, which is acceptance, or the ability to accept our life in all of its pain, imperfection, and beauty. Once we accept the present, we can forgive and release the desire for a different past. So, I love how this scene between Aang and Gyatso seems to kind of encapsulate all four of those pillars. He even tells Aang, we can't concern ourselves with what was. We must act on what is. It's a great book, by the way, if anyone wants to learn more about Tibetan Buddhism or even the Dalai Lama. Uh, Again, the Book of Joy. Fantastic read. I got to read that along with a pack of other books that I have somewhere around here. Meanwhile, back in the present time. So that was a nice little flashback, right? Back in the present time. Uh, Ang walks up to the air temple sanctuary and tells his friends he is ready to meet this mystery person who who will help him become a better avatar. Katara wonders if anyone is even alive in the temple at all after all this time. But Ang reminds her that he's alive after 100 years. So it's completely reasonable to believe that someone else could be alive in there after 100 years, which is like flawed and get flawless logic because yeah. it's like well i hit <laughs> random circumstances that allowed me to to live maybe they did too and it's like okay sure i guess ang uses air bending to open the sanctuary doors and the gang walks into a very ominous looking doorway most importantly 
Yeah. That person who may or may not have been living inside for a hundred years, they could have meat. Yes, they could. They could have food. Sokka was convinced. All about that. (laughs) You know, I I want someone to love me as much as Sokka loves meat. I know. Jeez. There's like, that's just like an undying. We'll do anything for we'll we'll turn anything into meat just to have meat. (laughs) Uh, Something I thought was very interesting about this was the door to the sanctuary for me was very, very clearly meant to have two airbenders Mm. open it at the same time. And Ang was able to open it just by himself. Yeah, because the two openings to that like central shell shaped thing. Yeah, it was like like the the end of a horn almost looks yeah. like where like the air funnels into. Uh, it looked like like it kind of remind me of like the nuclear codes like in a movie when you're supposed to launch <laughs> them. You both put the key in at the same time and you turn them and yeah. like that kind of remind me of that. But like for airbending where I, w- it, I would imagine that they're supposed to airbend at the same time to unlock the the three locks to get into there. But Ang was able to do it all on his own. Yeah. So I thought that kind of, again, goes to his accolades as an airbender and a master at that. Back with our good friends of the Fire Nation, Commander Zhao mocks Prince Zuko about letting a 12-year-old boy escape and how pathetic Zuko really is. Zhao comes to the realization that catching the Avatar is far too important to leave in the hands of a teenager. Again, that was my Zhao for everyone. You're welcome. (laughs) As the Avatar is the only being that stands in the Fire Nation's path of winning the war. He storms off and Zuko tries to attack and protest, but is held back by guards. Uncle asks for more ginseng tea. His favorite in this episode. We were talking about that earlier where you were like, oh, like lavender. I was like, no, it's ginseng. Was this Jasmine. Episode, so I'm gonna, I was like, Jasmine, Jasmine tea is Jasmine, his favorite, right? Jasmine. right? Jasmine. Oh, in this episode, um, it's ginseng. It's ginseng. So I'm going to like start to make a note of this whenever he mentions tea. Yes, we should. And he says it's his favorite. We're going to bring that up for you. This this, this is my promise to you. This is our promise to you, the listener. We will find out how many favorite teas Uncle has and if any overlap. And if they do, we'll keep a count. So we'll see. Ultimately. Can't wait to see the results. Tally them up. (laughs) Zhao Zhao is really... He is despicable. So for me... Like my friends and I, when we were watching this, had the the conversation, even when the, the live action movie, The Last Airbender hit of like, you know, what culture do these nations like exhibit or, or are they like mo- more closely related to? And Fire Nation for me has always been like Japanese, the Japanese mm-hmm. culture, where it's very like proper and very like, you know, they're very like straight to the point And like, at least that's my understanding. And Zhao is that he's kind of an ass, but like, yeah, like he's very like, I am this, you are this, this is, this is why you can't do this. I am better than you. And Zuko is very similar to him too, where he's not as alpha, I'll say as Zhao. Like, I feel like Zuko can admit his faults, maybe just uncle, but he can, where Zhao's like, I'm perfect. I don't know what you're talking about. This is great. This is what's going to happen. And you're it. And like the way he acts is how I expect most of the fire nation. Yeah. Yeah, very assertive. He, um, I yeah. mean, that's why he gets all the promotions, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, 
I I actually read something. It's interesting that you talked about how you saw the Fire Nation as being based on Japanese culture, because I remember reading somewhere that that was the initial uh, artistic direction of the Fire Nation. And then they had to tweak it a little bit and make it more generally Asian. So they didn't accidentally like demonize Japanese culture. Um, But you can definitely still see those influences in the fire nation culture, even in some of the color scheme too, where you know, that too, yeah. red, like, well, I mean, I guess like, you know, the Chinese flag is also red, but I always just think of like that white flag with the red circle right in the middle. And the, their aesthetic is just feels very Japanese to me always. Yeah. Um, but yeah, that, that's just like, that was my thought of it when I first watched it. And I still kind of feel that way rewatching it, but I can't tell if that's like residual feelings from the first time I watched it. I'm just kind of importing them into here. Um, or, you know, if that initial design is shining through and even though they've, you know, gone over it and masked it and iterated on it, it still kind of shows. Yeah, through. I did find a fun fact about Zhao's character. Yes. What is it? Apparently he was based on the character William Tabington from The Patriot. Did you see that movie? Yes. OK, I didn't. But apparently you've never seen The Patriot. No, no, I haven't. Is it one of those classics? I think it is. But like, I don't know. <laughs> I also I used to really like Mel Gibson until he went crazy, and I still really <laughs> like Heath Ledger, and they're yeah. like the stars of the movie. So oh, I didn't know that. Yeah. Well, um, there's a lot of movies I haven't seen, and actually, uh, the Geek Generation Network just launched another podcast called "Katie Hasn't Seen That." Mm-hmm. I feel uh, Katie and I are very similar in that way. We haven't seen a lot of movies, and The Patriot is one of them, but apparently Tavington is the antagonist, right? And yeah. he's characterized as a very charismatic, brutal commander. And the Avatar casting director, Marianne Daisy, was asked to find someone who sounded like him to voice Zhao and ended up getting Jason Isaacs, who is the actor who portrayed That was Tavington. Jason Isaacs? Yeah. I didn't even look at that. That's I know I said I was going to like look at like who voices who, but I forgot to for this episode. Okay. I, I gotcha. love Jason Isaacs. Rob loves Jason Isaacs, too. Yeah. And for those who are yeah. listening, Jason Isaacs, uh, Lucius Malfoy, anyone? He does a lot of um, DC animated voices voices as well. Yeah. Well, yeah, he's awesome. I love him. He's such a good actor. And he I does can't believe a I didn't fantastic him. job with Zhao. So I'm glad they were able to they were able to book uh, someone who could do Zhao justice. Yes. By the way, we forgot to mention this. I'm going to mention it now before we forget. Prince Zuko. Who's he voiced by again, Acorn? Why, he's voiced by Dante Bosco, a.k.a. Rufio. Rufio! So good. <laughs> so great. And uh, also, I want I do want to make sure I bring this up, because I was very excited when I learned this. Uh, Katara is voiced by none other than Mae Whitman. Yes. And if that name kind of sounds familiar to you, you probably know her from... The hit show Parenthood, which if you haven't seen that and you don't want to be in a solid emotional state, please do so because it just messes <laughs> you up every time you watch it. Uh, she was also in Scott Pilgrim versus the world uh, and also appeared in the hit show Arrested Development. And if you missed her, you know, it's understandable. But, you know, she did play Egg. I mean, Anne in that show. <laughs> So. It just shows her range, right? It's oh, like, yeah. oh, that's May Whitman. Yeah, I didn't even realize that when I was rewatching it. And then I think I was just like letting the credits go through. And I was like, oh, I was like, oh, geez. Oh, crap. That's that's her. That's it's her and her. Cool. Back at the Air Temple Sanctuary, Team Avatar enters a giant room filled with the statues of past avatars. 
Sokka is still complaining about food, but Aang and Katara notice that the avatars are arranged in a pattern, which we end up learning is the pattern of the avatar cycle. So the avatar cycle, for those of you who don't know, it starts with air, goes into water, then earth and fire. So usually it's an airbender and then a waterbender, which we learn in, in this and the Legend of Korra. Then it goes to an earthbender and then it goes into a firebender. What I find very interesting is that like fire and air are opposite ends of the avatar cycle. Yes. It's very good. Just like they're so different. So I'm wondering, like a lot of the thing, a lot of what we learn about the avatars, they get reincarnated into the, the next kingdom. But like Aang is definitely himself and not everyone else. When I think of reincarnation, I think of I think I just been it's been too Hollywoodized for me. Mm-hmm. Where it's like I think of like, oh, it's just me in the body of a dog and I have all my memories and I'm just a dog now. But that's not the case in Avatar. It's he's his own person. He just has, I don't know. Like access. the soul of previous avatars. It's it's almost like previous experiences and lifetimes locked away in the soul, but then you yourself are your own person. You come from your own nation. You have your own bending. This is where it gets very deep for me. I mean, I don't want to like dwell on it too long because we still got a whole episode to go through. But for me, your experiences create the soul, which creates the person. So like, I'm always like trying to differentiate that avatar and like, other philosophies, I'm sure, differentiate that, which is very just like, I'm always like, wait, what? But he's, oh, yeah, he's, he's just his own. It's fine. He's his own and he can just get power from other people. That's how I've been able to like wrap my mind around it. Um, But anyways, Aang lock, uh, locks eyes with the last statue and remarks that it's Avatar Roku, his predecessor, who was a firebender that soccer remarks and says no wonder i didn't trust you when i first met you you were a firebender in a previous life <laughs> another great sack of moment uh, suddenly the three of them hear a noise from the entrance and causes the group to take cover behind the statues preparing to fight a firebender because the shadow that is projected on the ground does kind of look fire nation ish Sokka jumps out trying to catch the intruder off guard when the other two join Sokka, they find that it's a single, small, little, little cute lemur in the doorway. Sokka chases the lemur to eat because Sokka is going to be Sokka. And Aang wants to keep the lemur as a pet. The two race to see who can be the first to catch the lemur. But Katara stays behind in the temple sanctuary. The lemur flies out from the window and Aang, determined to catch the animal, jumps off the temple balcony after it. So we get like a very serious moment where Aang is locked eyes and in a trance almost just staring at Avatar Roku. Mm-hmm. And then we get something super goofy just to really balance it out afterwards of just yeah. like, ooh, food. This this episode's so heavy. You really need those funny moments mm-hmm. to kind of like keep things light. Um, I do love that they took a moment to address firebenders being in the avatar cycle and Sokka making that comment like no wonder I didn't trust you I I'm really glad that they acknowledged that because it's kind of the first time that we've seen the fire nation not be something bad right not be the villain of the show yeah they weren't always the villains and it's usually just in the course of history a single bad egg that spoils the bunch right or bad apple that spoils the group yeah, yeah exactly and that's what happened and then it was never any sort of at least 
as far as we know, any sort of uh, leader that was like, this is wrong. We shouldn't be doing it. It was all just like, get stronger, get stronger, get, win this war, win this war. And I don't even know at this point if anyone knows what the war was originally about. They're just been fighting it for so long and it's right, been going yeah. through so many generations. Um, so, yeah, yeah, I agree. It's very it's a good thing that they kind of try to keep it in perspective of like, hey, yes, a firebender can be an avatar. They're not evil by just by being a firebender. Mm-hmm. You know, it's it's someone's actions that dictates it's not where they came from. So, yeah, exactly. Back to Team Master Iroh, Commander Zhao re-enters his tent, telling Zuko and Iroh that his search party is almost ready to embark on their search for the Avatar. Zhao states that Zuko and Iroh will be freed once the ship has left port. Zuko announces that he will capture the Avatar before Zhao, and the commander laughs. He has a better fleet, he has more experience, he's just better prepared for all of this. Not to mention... As we saw at the beginning of the episode, Zuko's ship is tiny. It dwarfed the Southern yes. Water Tribe, and yet it's the smallest one at the docks. <laughs> Teeny tiny little ship for a little prince, and as far as the Fire Nation is concerned. Yeah. Zhao then deals a blow, a low blow. Oh, no, I have a better way to put this. I'm very excited about this. Zhao then tries to, metaphorically speaking, knock Zuko off his feet by saying that if his father truly wanted him around then the Fire Lord would let him come home even without the Avatar as a captive. Ooh. Yeah, that's that's like low. He continues to taunt uh, Zuko by stating that Fire Lord Ozai sees in his son a failure and mentions that Zuko has the scar to prove it. This is the first mention we get of why Zuko has that scar. Yes. Zuko, blinded by rage, challenges Zhao to an uh, Agni Kai at sunset, and Zhao accepts. After Zhao leaves the tent, Iroh reminds Zuko of his last duel with a firebending master, prompting Zuko to say he will never forget. That's my Zuko impression. Everyone welcome. You're welcome. And he, when we get a close-up of Zuko's scarred eye, as it kind of does the Batman squint. Okay, we're really seeing the Tavington influence here because... The stuff that Zhao says to Zuko is are such low blows. He rips him apart or tries to, because even yeah. though he tells Zuko that if your father really loved you, he would let you come back home, avatar or no avatar. That. Oh, my God. Yes. If if let's think, ugh, I'm like getting so excited, I can't even talk. <laughs> Already, we see that hope is a really powerful motivator for Zuko and is what keeps him so motivated because he has nothing else, only capturing the Avatar. Zhao baits him and all Zuko does is says that's not true because if he lets himself believe that, then he has nothing. How heartbreaking is that? He doesn't actually have nothing, though, because he will always have his uncle no matter what. Well, yeah, but he's so focused on his honor and finding the Avatar to reinstate his position in the Fire Nation. Like, if he lost that, if he truly believed that there was no hope and that his father would never accept him again, yeah, he'd have his uncle, but I don't think that would be enough for Zuko right now where he is in his character. Right, right. Well, I'm pretty sure they talk about that later. I don't remember exactly, but, like, he does have a lot, but he, like, is so focused on what he doesn't have that he makes himself believe he has nothing. Yeah. Which is a lot different than Aang. It's like the polar opposite of Aang, who 
pretty much has nothing when he comes out of the ice except for Appa. And then he ends up building more and more and more. So yeah, I think true. that softens Ooh. the blow for later in this episode. That's also an interesting comparison because you're right. Aang comes out of the iceberg with nothing but Appa. And we meet Zuko, who has nothing but his uncle. Very similar situations in positions in life. And yet their like mental state is mm-hmm. so totally different. Yep. Zuko is so focused on like seeking and destroying. And Aang is so focused on like love and acceptance, <laughs> I guess. And also Appa and uncle, kind of similar. In a very it. weird way, you're right. <laughs> <laughs> very similar personalities. I'm sure Appa uh, would drink a trough of tea if it was offered him. Yes. yes. But they also like seem to take the what is deemed the easier path, but turns out that they've probably thought about it really quickly and been like, yeah, I'm going to just do it this way. Yeah. This is the better path. So like with Uncle and like not getting involved with capturing the Avatar when he's trying to escape because he's like why if if this happens he knows he probably knows his brother is not going to let Zuko back in even if he gets the avatar so why reach that heartache so quickly and Appa with uh, why fly there when I can just swim last thing to note about that scene is Mm -hmm. how freaking powerful that camera pan was when Iroh asks Zuko have you forgotten what happened the last time you dueled a master and the camera stops on the half of Zuko's face with his scar in shadow oh my god it really like the the drama in this show is just like ridiculous there's like oh it's goofy like Sokka wants to eat a lemur and then it's just like you remember the last time you failed and it's like yes yeah do you remember the last time you failed lost your home your family your father's love and were cast out of your country (laughs) in 50 percent of your face do you remember that Anyway, uh, Team Avatar and lemur yeah, shenanigans. Anyways, back to the lemur and trying to eat it. Uh, the the lemur kind of leads them into uh, the ruin of, of like a tent or a building. And Aang sticks his head inside and finds the remains of his best friend and mentor, Monk Gyatso, causing Aang to fall to his knees in tears. Sokka, hey, this is supposed to be up harding. What are you, what are you you're supposed to be lifting me up here? What are you doing, team? Ugh. One drama right into the next. Yeah. Sokka at first thinks that Aang is sad because he thinks Sokka is going to eat the lemur. So he says, like, I'm not going to eat him. Relax. You're fine. And then he kind of sees the remains kind of just sitting there and attempts to comfort Aang, whose eyes suddenly glow with the power of the Avatar state. By the way, we don't know what's called the Avatar state at this point. Mm-hmm. They've officially. just kind of like officially. They don't have a name for it. At the same time. Avatar statues around the world start to glow in a similar manner, signaling the return of the Avatar to the world, including the Fire Sages, Mm -hmm. which was like a big whoops. That was a big whoops. Yeah. This is one of the inconsistencies that I found. Oh, this is the second time he's entered the third time he's entered the Avatar state. But this is the only time where it signals everyone yeah i was thinking about this and i have like i have like a head canon about it i think the difference here is he went into the avatar he went into the avatar state in the airbending sanctuary so maybe there's something mystical about the sanctuary itself and um i'm gonna like i'm gonna pull on my final fantasy 10 fandom here maybe by being in the cloister 
of trials with the hymn of the faith, maybe yeah. being in the avatar sanctuary and going into the avatar state will like signal the other temples across the world. Almost like a, almost like a. You think it's like the vicinity of him to the statues is closer. So that way it gets to the other statues and signals. I guess so. But also like when you think about it, when an avatar is training and they haven't reached the avatar state yet, they're probably in a temple with monks or the other avatar, like learning how to master their powers. And so by going into the avatar state in that, in that vicinity, maybe it like activates something. Maybe. I don't know. It seems, it seems like kind of an oversight, but. I don't know. I was just kind of like, he's done this quite a few times before, but whatever. I like, I'm, I'm willing to overlook it because the show is so great, but that was one of like, that's the first time in three episodes where I've been like, wait a minute. Yeah. This seems weird. But anyways, I'm pretty convinced it's based on vicinity. I, yeah, that that's, I can get around that, that headcanon. Absolutely. While in his avatar state, Aang begins to bend a windstorm around himself. Sokka is blown off of his feet. And the tattered tent is obliterated by this blast of wind. Katara races to her brother and asks for more information from Sokka. What's going on? How did this happen? Blah, blah, blah. He yells back that Aang found out that the firebenders killed Gyatso. Katara notes that this triggered the Avatar state. And she does her best to approach the grieving Aang, who's lifted in the air at this point, uh, to calm him down. So another like, like that stereotypical, like trying to get to her friend, literally wind blowing against her, covering her face, trying to reach him. I have so much to say about Gyatso because when they first got to the airbending temple, Aang said that Gyatso is the greatest airbender in the world. And when Aang finds his remains in a room in the temple, we see that he might actually be right because at least 10 Fire Nation soldiers lay at his feet. And um, and it was a, a slight spoiler, but we later learn that the attack on the Southern Air Temple was during Sozin's Comet, a natural phenomenon that greatly enhances a firebender's abilities, which means Gyasso single-handedly fended off and killed at least 10 comet-boosted firebenders. That is absolutely incredible. I always feel that an airbender is the perfect foil to a firebender. And like you would think it would be water because like, you know, water can douse fire. But for me, it's about redirection of the flames. Yeah. And they are opposites. I can almost see Gyatso just fending off these flames by just redirecting them back at their opponents and trying to catch them off guard. I feel like we knew that he was dead because it's been a hundred years and he was already super old to begin with. But like just kind of seeing how he went is kind of heartbreaking because I always feel like yeah. he should have been like a, on his deathbed surrounded by friends kind of thing. Yeah, exactly. That's, yeah. you know, I would, that that's something I was thinking about because as someone who lost a family member at a very young age, I always get emotional seeing Aang overcome by his grief in finding yeah. Gyatso. And we learn through the series that Gyatso is not only Aang's mentor, but also his best friend, like you said, but also his father figure. He didn't have a family. He had the monks and yeah. Gyatso was the one he was closest to. So imagine being in this position, finding yourself a hundred years in the future at your abandoned home in front of the body of the person you loved most in the world. Like, 
no wonder he goes into the avatar state as like a defense mechanism because those emotions must have been overwhelming. See, I don't know if it's a defense mechanism or if it's just a loss of control. I guess it could be either. Yeah. Because I'm wondering if like the avatar state, like I wonder if he does anything to activate the avatar state at this point or if it just kind of overtakes him and he's constantly working to drill it down. I don't know. I feel like but, maybe it's a little bit of both because if yeah. he loses control, then the avatar state will kick in to protect him. Yeah. So to speak. Yeah, that makes sense. But yeah, meanwhile, this is this is the part I really want to talk about. Meanwhile, the big duel between Zuko and Zhao begins at sundown. Uncle reminds his nephew to remember his basics, which is like uncle's go to. Remember your basics. Zuko seems to already be set on the demise of his rival. The two opponents are well-trained and remain calm throughout the beginning of the battle. However, this is my favorite part. You ready? This is, this is where ready. I get clever again. However, as the flames of battle continue to burn. Oh, my God. I was very proud of that. Zuko, Zuko's confidence wavers as Zhao almost effortlessly avoids and redirects Zuko's blows. Break his root, Uncle exclaims, reminding Zuko of the basics. Zuko is knocked back momentarily but takes advantage of his opponent's stance and confidence and unleashes an onslaught of moves designed to keep Zhao off balance until he has fallen on the ground. So while, if you remember earlier, I said that Zhao tried to knock Zuko off balance, metaphorically speaking, Mm -hmm. Zuko has done it now, literally, literally in battle. Do it, Zhao demands, and Zuko stands over his proud rival, Zuko unleashes a final blast just to the right of his opponent's head, purposefully missing the killing blow. I love this battle. I love this battle. It was so good. It's also the first time we've seen bending in battle, like in practice. Yes. Yes. It was, um, it was the first time also we've seen not only in practice, but like two masters almost or a master and like someone who's getting kind of close to that really take each other on. Um, You really see the difference in fighting styles in terms of like an attitude, I guess, between Zhao and Zuko and also uncle kind of just like being his cheerleader. Yeah. So sweet. Iroh has so much wisdom. It's, it's so great. (sighs) And actually, so you're to your point about them being, uh, potentially a master in someone who's really getting good at firebending, fighting each Mm. other. Zuko holds his own. And I also love that even though he's the show's antagonist, I love that he's not like a bad person or evil for the sake of being evil. Like some other antagonists are written as Um, he's complex. Yeah. Like Zhao. Well, I'm sure he has his own motivations, whatever. (laughs) But like Zuko's complex. He has motivations for doing the things that he does. And we can see from the Agni Kai that he also lives by his own moral code because he spares Zhao after winning the Agni Kai because by winning, he proved his point. He doesn't have to kill someone to prove that he's better than than them because he beat them already. But again, like I think that was also the more... Like, yes, I agree with that 100%, but now that we're, like, talking about it, I think it's also the more insulting thing to not kill him. Oh, that too. Yeah. I mean... Like, that was a big middle finger to him right there. Well, we're about to talk about it, but think about who his mentor is. Uncle Iroh, the king of mic drops. Yeah, that's fair. That's 100% fair. Um, Yeah, and I think, again, this kind of reinforces my 
I like my idea of a Japanese influence. Yeah. Because I feel like I've seen these battles in like samurai movies and stuff like that, where it ends with like the eventual like death, but then the hero is like not going to stoop to that level and realizes the value of life and walks off. Like, I feel like I've seen that a million times. <laughs> Disgusted with this gesture. Zhao taunts Zuko with the same old taunts. Your father would be disgusted, et cetera, et cetera. Zuko informs him that next time there will be no restraint and turns his back on his opponent. Again, just that same kind of ending that you would expect in this, this scenario. Zhao tries to pull a cheap shot and attack Zuko uh, from behind after his defeat. Uncle Iroh steps in at the last second and blocks the attack with absolutely no effort. He's just like in there. He's boom. Like he's the flash at this like point. Grips his foot. Yeah. Like it literally like it's like just stops the flame from coming out of his foot with his bare hand. Yeah. Is the impression that I got. Yep. Uh, and Zuko jumps back into action only to be instructed by his uncle to stand down and to not taint his honorable victory. Now, I pulled this quote directly from the show because I can't paraphrase this any any better. So this is how the great commander Zhao acts in defeat. Disgraceful. Even in exile, my nephew is more honorable than you. Thanks again for the tea. It was delicious. <laughs> like, he, he like scolds him and he's like, you're a baby. Yeah. <laughs> like this guy who is supposed to be the most dishonorable person in the Fire Nation has more honor than you. By the way, the ginseng was great. Yeah. Yeah. Proof that Iroh is actually one of the most badass characters in the show. I love him so much. And there's that mic drop. It, right I there. can still hear the echoes of that mic drop many yeah. seasons later. It was so good. <laughs> it's so great. And like the voice actor they got as uh, Mako for Uncle is yeah. perfect. So He's good. Like, he, you, I can't picture a different voice behind that. Like it just really. And I think a lot of it, too, is because he did play Master Splinter at one point for Ninja Turtles. Yep. Uh, so I think I do hear some a bit of that. But yeah, just like brilliant. This is the first time we're seeing Zuko more vulnerable, mm. where he kind of drops his guard and looks at his uncle and goes, did you really mean what you said? An uncle kind of realizing what this means for Zuko and like the what he has to go through to even ask this kind of like chimes in with, a, of course, I told you ginseng tea is my favorite. And then the two kind of walk towards the ship and the faintest smile crosses Zuko's lips. Because Zuko knows what he was yep. actually saying me so let's jump back to team avatar katara attempts because we left ang in a horrible state we got this nice resolution right now going on with zuko yeah. we have a whirlwind of problems just saw monkey Yatso dead he goes into yeah. the avatar state Katara's yeah. like what is going on yeah so we have uh katara attempts to kind of calm ang down still in his avatar state by letting him know that Sokka and katara went through the same thing when their mom died she also says, Monkeyatso and the other airbenders may be gone, but you still have a family. Sokka and I, we're your family now. This seems to reach the young Avatar as the winds die down and Aang slowly descends from the air. Sokka assures Aang that they aren't going to let anything happen to him. As a now exhausted Aang apologizes for the outburst. Knowing it's not his fault, Katara hugs Aang tightly as he comes to the realization that he really is the last airbender. Ugh. And they said the title of the thing in the thing. They did. It's it's confirmed now. It's real. On my on my second watch through, 
because the first time I watched it, it was like, oh, it's really emotional. The second one, I was like, they said the title of the show in the show. Finally. Finally. I always wait for those moments. I'm just full of like the fun facts and trivia and history and stuff. Um, this also comes from the Book of Joy that I mentioned earlier, mm. because I thought it was really interesting how when Katara says that Sokka and I, we're your family now, it has it was a super fast exchange, but it had an immediate effect on Aang. And he immediately begins to like drift down to the ground and exit the the avatar state. So why did that work? Well, there's actually a Tibetan saying for this. Wherever you have friends, that's your country. And wherever you receive love, that's your home. Oh, which I think is beautiful. And to kind of add some context to that, for those who may not know, Tibet was its own country with its own culture until China invaded, uh, like the Fire Nation, I guess, and forced the Dalai Lama and his people to flee into exile. So they've actually spent the last 60 years living under India's protection on land that India gave them. So for both the Tibetan people and Aang, who also lost his home and his culture, your country is where you have friends and your yeah. home is where you receive love, which I think is so, so beautiful. It's just like seeing Ang this way too, even for the briefest of moment, it's just, it's so heartbreaking. Whenever I feel like, especially Ang, when he gets disheartened or he gets sad, it just really hits a lot harder than any other character. Yeah, because it's like the sun is dimming. And even like I found with what I remember of... um Cora as well like she'll get down on her luck and stuff like that but I never felt that like like that puppy sadness I guess for lack of a better term where it's like or that or actually you know what no it's more like when Winnie the Pooh gets sad it's exactly when Winnie the Pooh gets sad because like he's so like positive and and there's not like a mean bone in his body and when he doesn't so this is a little bit of a rabbit hole but I'm gonna go down it um one of the only times that I've felt like super sad in a movie that doesn't have to do with dogs is one of the Winnie the Pooh movies when Christopher Robin doesn't come back for a summer and he doesn't understand why. Oh, no. And it's just like your heart breaks because he can't comprehend this. And now that like so Ang couldn't comprehend that the air that there are no more airbenders before he got here. Then he saw it and he's coming to that realization. And now he's realized that he is the last one. And this is a super emotional journey if you think about it for him, because like he's he is his way of life at this point. Yeah, he's it. That's then he's got to like either kind of rebuild it or like instill some of these values in other people and hope that it just survives. If he's even thinking that far, he's still 12 years old. Mm -hmm. Jesus, a lot. My heart, okay, again, <laughs> my whole heart, it's its just obliterated. It's in pieces oh, after man. this episode. Later on that day, Aang, Katara, and Sokka stand in the sanctuary. Aang stares at Roku's statue and asks, how is Roku supposed to help me if I can't talk to him? And Katara replies, maybe you'll find a way. The lemur reappears with a variety of fruits and lays them in front of Sokka. Finally, he can eat. He just <laughs> literally starts shoving food down his gullet. And is super happy that he gets to finally eat after. It's probably been like a day. Yeah. Oh, Sokka. Later, as Katara and Sokka finish packing, Aang stands overlooking the silent remnants of the deserted temple with Appa and the lemur. They are now the last of the southern air temple. And Aang remarks they need to stick together. Aang introduces the lemur to, to the group as their newest member and names him Momo. And then Momo steals some of Sokka's food right out of his hands, literally, which is perfect. Do you know what Momo means? No. What does Momo mean? Momo means peach in Japanese, 
which is what Sokka was eating. While flying away to the next destination, Aang watches as his former home disappears into the clouds. Aang begins to understand the world now. And this was a big step in his journey to becoming a great hero. And Aang accepts his present and looks to the future with a smile, which, what a great lesson. After all of that, he's got a little smile on his face. Okay. And that's our episode. What a good one. This this actually was, might be one of my favorite episodes now that I've rewatched it. Yeah, this was like there's so much going on here. Like you have the best of so many characters. You have so much action. You have so much drama. It's amazing. Greg. Yeah. I got to know your MVP. Well, uh, we have to do the moral first. The moral of the episode. Uh, okay. What would you what was what is your moral of this episode? Very simple. Greg, yeah. remember your basics. Ooh, I like that. I really like that. For me, I think the moral of the episode is um, to live in the present. Ooh. Yeah, they're yeah. both great. Yeah. I'm very surprised that I picked the Airbender one and you picked the Fire Nation <laughs> one. <laughs> me too. I'm sitting here thinking, God, I'm glad there's two of us. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Uh, MVP, you ready for this? I'm ready. Oh, my gosh. I don't think it's going to surprise anyone okay. who my MVP is. It's Uncle Iroh. Oh, of course. No, I'm not just saying that because he's like my, my favorite. And I said he will be my favorite. Like, he'll be my MVP, him or Sokka, throughout all of it. But um, he literally, like, the lessons that he taught Zuko and continues to teach Zuko, despite Zuko's best efforts and, like, his, I guess his father's influence is what I will say. Mm-hmm. His uncle's influence is what always kind of rings true. And is what helps Zuko succeed in life. And I think that's crazy. And also, he's got that crazy mic drop at the end. And he's just like, he's this guy's prisoner, but he's drinking all of his tea. He's like drinking him out of house and home. <laughs> it's amazing. He's so cool. Um, I'm very curious to hear who your MVP is, Acorn. My MVP is Zuko. Really? Really? Because I feel like watching this again, I really got... I really understood Zuko and I appreciated all the layers that the writers of the show added to him because we have this teenager who's trying to carve his place out of life and regain his honor and achieve these goals. And the world and Commander Zhao are doing everything they can to knock him down, but he will not get knocked down. He challenges Zhao to an Agni Kai He doesn't believe him when he says all these terrible things about Zuko's father and Zuko himself. He also, I feel like, learned something at the end, too. Like, in a very very small way, he did earn back some of his honor that day. So he's my MVP. This is the beginning of the character development for Zuko, 100%. Yeah. Like, and it's like, it's really cool just to see that, like, even the smallest breadcrumb. I agree with that. But still, Uncle Iroh is the best. Uh, <laughs> and together, again, they're the dynamic duo, like us. There we go. Cool. So if you want to let us know who your MVP is or what moral you took out of this episode, we actually just uh, set up an email address. So please email at us, avatarthepodcast at gmail.com. Let us know. And then, you know, who knows? Maybe we'll read it on an episode, an upcoming episode. Spoiler, we will. That also does go for five-star reviews, too. So that will be a thing. With that being said, that's all the time that we have for this episode of Avatar the Podcast. 
uh, just we just want to take a, a quick moment at the end here to thank everyone uh, for taking the time to join us in this discussion, for listening to us, um, and for for rewatching Avatar: The Last Airbender with us. Coming up, how does Sokka look in a dress? <laughs> <laughs> and what's more exciting than riding on an elephant coin? All this and more next time on Avatar, Avatar the, the podcast. podcast. Ah, I did it. <laughs> Avatar, the podcast, is a proud part of the Geek Generation Network. Remember to check out all of our podcasts at thegeekgeneration.com. 